0: Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you for tuning in with us on this Palm Sunday. Um, We are so very glad that you decided to tune in and join with us as we uh, dig into God's Word today. Uh, I do want to say at the top, you know, I I do pray that we never get used to doing church this way um, and that we're all chomping at the bit at getting back into the swing of things and getting back into the building where we can gather together. Uh, As Brother Art told me when this whole thing really first began, he said, when this is all over, it's gonna give a whole new meaning and understanding of, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I hope that that's true for all of you. Now, for this morning, uh, as I said, this is Palm Sunday, You're very well aware of that. Uh, Palm Sunday marks the beginning of what is known as Holy Week. It's the week leading up to Good Friday, which is the, the day of the crucifixion, and leading up to the day of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. It's a week for meditating on and contemplating what Christ went through. But not just what he went through, why he went through it, and all that he accomplished in this week. I do want to help to put our minds um, in that right place um, to kind of give us something to be meditating on and contemplating throughout this week. Normally, we would probably try to have a Good Friday service where we could talk about what's accomplished in Good Friday and during the crucifixion. But since that won't be possible, today we're going to look at um, the Triumphal Entry right along with uh, leading up to the crucifixion and and what did Christ accomplish on that cross. So, I want you to get your Bible, turn to John chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 27 through 33. John chapter 12 27 through 33 this is the Word of God now is my soul troubled and what shall I say Father save me from this hour but for this purpose I have come to this hour Father glorify your name then a voice came from heaven I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, "This voice has not come for or this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Let's pray. Oh God, God Almighty, we come before you in this hour, Lord, needing to hear from you, needing your spirit, your guidance. Lord, we cannot understand your scriptures without the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I ask that right now at this time as people are gathered around their phones or their TVs or their computers or whatever device they're gathered around, Lord, that you will remind them first off that though we are socially distant, Lord, that you are near and dear to us, that you are near and close to all of us, God and that you would use by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would use me to communicate and and preach your word effectively and precisely and faithfully. And that through this preaching of your word, Lord, that by your spirit, Lord, that you would get it from people's ears to their hearts. And Lord, that you would save those who need to be saved, that you would edify those who need to be edified, And that your name would be glorified this morning. And it's that name, the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Palm Sunday. You've probably heard uh, uh, a sermon once or twice in your life before about the triumphal entry, about Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And... Those are great messages. And that's a great piece of, of the text that, that you should definitely read over. And as we go on through this week, it's, it can be found early on in John chapter 12. Um, but that's not going to be the focal point of our time together this morning. Um, but I do want to address Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. What, what's being said there? What does this mean? So, you know. What the triumphal entry was about—that Jesus was riding in uh, to the city on a donkey—and he was met with uh, a bunch of crowd, a huge crowd. This this crowd they had already gathered for the Passover festival, and he's met with the cheers of, of "Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord." And the crowds are waving palm branches and they're laying their cloaks down on the road before Jesus. And here they are at that moment. The Jewish people are are screaming this because they think that Mashiach has arrived. This is our Messiah. This is going to be our political leader. He's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. You see what the word Hosanna means in Psalm 118.25 The psalmist writes, Lord, save us, please. And that's the original meaning of Hosanna is save, please. You see, believe it or not, Hosanna is not a name and it's also not an English word, but it's an English variation of a Greek word, which is actually a Greek variation of the Hebrew word, which is used right there in Psalm 118, 25. And he says, save, please. Think of that this way. If you were stranded in the ocean and you saw a distant ship uh, right across the horizon and it appeared to be coming towards you, you would probably be jumping and screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. What you're screaming in that moment is, save us, save us, please. Please save us. But you see this word, this Hosanna, actually has a a newer New Testament meaning. It would also be shouted whenever victory had already been accomplished and salvation was arriving. So it means here we are. We're saved. We're saved. We're saved. It's It's a shout of praise. So in that same scenario, when you're stranded at sea and you see that ship coming towards you, That's what you would be crying out. You'd be saying, we're saved, we're saved. Our salvation has arrived. Effectively, what you would be crying out is, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And that's what's happening at this moment. The the crowds are gathered around and they think here in this moment that Christ is, is coming to restore the kingdom to Israel. So they're saying, Hosanna, our salvation has arrived. They're crying out thanks to the salvation that they believe is a political salvation, a political victory. They think that Christ is here to rid uh, the Jewish people of their uh, of their political enemies, namely the Roman Empire. And they did have one thing right, that Christ was the king, and he's a conquering king, and that He is their salvation. But He had something else in mind, didn't He? His kingdom is not of this world. The salvation that He rode into town bringing was not of this world, it was not political in nature. This is what Hosanna means. And whenever they were saying Hosanna in the highest, they were crying out for the angels even to join them In crying out to to Jesus, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, our salvation has arrived. But soon, the chants of Hosanna would turn to crucify Him, crucify Him. How things turned. Now, as we look at our text, Jesus opens up in verse 27 saying, Now is my soul troubled how can this be how can the Christ who tells us let not your heart be troubled be troubled how can he be troubled he's he's the one who calmed the storm how can he be troubled what is it that's going on this statement reminds us of of what Christ went through or will go through in the garden of Gethsemane when he is in turmoil, when he is anguished in spirit, and he goes and he prays to ask God to let this cup pass from me, if at all possible. See, Christ knew what was coming. Christ knew that what we call Good Friday was on the horizon, and soon he would be crucified. Contrary to popular opinion, though, what he was most troubled about was not just the physical pain that he was to endure. That was bad, and that was severe, and we by no means seek to diminish that. But what he's most troubled in his soul about is that he will be suffering under the hand of the Almighty God as He pours out His wrath on His own Son. The physical pain would be tremendous, no doubt, but it would pale in comparison to drinking from the cup of wrath. Then he goes on to say, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.23, one of my favorite scriptures. He says, we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. Undoubtedly, if it wasn't for this selection of scripture, Paul wouldn't be able to write that statement. You see, here Christ just foretold his death in verse 24. He speaks of a seed that has to be buried in order, that has to die in order to bear much fruit. And then he goes on to say here in verse 27, seemingly sarcastically, What? Am I supposed to tell my Father to bail me out of the very thing that He sent me here to do? What shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? What, what, what am I gonna tell my Father that I can't do this after all, take me away from this, save me from this hour? Though Jesus is troubled in His soul, He knows that this is not an option he states but for this purpose I have come to this hour for this purpose I have come to this hour for this reason this is the whole reason why I'm here in other words how can I tell him to save me from the very thing I came here to do this hour that Christ is speaking of has been mentioned before especially here in the book of John You'll remember the story of, uh, of early on it was at the, before his ministry began Mary tells him to go uh, help out the, the, the guests at the wedding and this is the, the, the instance of Christ turning water into wine and whenever she's talking to him he says Woman, my hour has not come yet My hour has not come yet In John 7.30, some were seeking to arrest Jesus, but they couldn't, they didn't. Why? Because his hour had not yet come. Jesus' hour, his, his time, his purpose, his reason, his mission, he hadn't completed his ministry yet, so they couldn't arrest him. But now, now the time has arrived and Jesus is troubled in his soul so what is this hour that Christ came for? to put it simply, Christ came to save First Timothy, in the beginning of First Timothy Paul writes that this is a trustworthy saying and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners Christ Jesus came to save. He came into the world to save sinners. You know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His Son. He gave Him, He sent Him. Christ was sent here on a mission. He wasn't merely taking a vacation on earth. He wasn't just passing through. He wasn't just checking up on us. He was on a mission. Christ Jesus was born into this world as fully God and fully man. For what purpose? To save sinners, to save his enemies. That's what the scriptures say, is that at just the right time, at just the right time, when we were still sinners, when we were in rebellion against him, he saved us. Who's ever heard of anything like this before? Who's ever heard of a king, or a political leader, or you know, a governor, a president? Who's ever heard of someone dying for a nation that he's at war against? To lay down his life to save his enemies? No one has ever heard of this before. Nothing like this has ever been seen. Christ Jesus came into the world to save us, and to do that, He had to purchase our freedom. You see, we needed forgiveness. We needed a clean slate. We needed help. We needed a savior. And to save, he had to die. What we must grasp in our speaking of the forgiveness of sins is that it required Jesus to die. It is not as though God neglectfully misplaces our sins, or He's suffering from bad memory. He has a memory lapse in remembering your sins. It's not as though God could simply say, it's okay, don't worry about it. We'll just act like nothing ever happened. That goes against the nature of God. Out of necessity, Christ had to die. Christ had to become our sins. He had to bear our sins in his body. This was done in love and out of necessity. Why do I say necessity? Necessity because of who God is. He's holy, he's righteous, he's rich in mercy and grace. You see, he couldn't simply say you're forgiven. Why? Because he's holy and righteous and he's just. And scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. So here we are with this mountain of death, of this punishment, of this judgment stacked up against us. Unable to purchase our own freedom and our own forgiveness or ever again earn right standing before God. Our sins are taken as far as the east is from the west. But that's only true because Christ bore them in His body. He suffered the penalty. This is a crucial element of the Gospel. Without the atonement of sins, we do not have the forgiveness of sins. Without Christ standing in our place and taking on our punishment, We cannot now stand before the throne declared righteous. It had to be this way, it had to happen. This was the hour for which he had come. And what does he save us from exactly? You see, in our day and age, what we like to say is that we just like to talk about Jesus laying down his life. We just like to talk about forgiveness But we don't talk about the necessity for forgiveness. We don't talk about the necessity of a a life having to be given, of blood having to be shed. Why? Because we don't like to hear of a holy God who must punish sin. I mean, who wants to hear about that? This holy God, this righteous God, that He must punish sin because of His nature? Who wants to hear about this? as the Israelites cried out in Isaiah tell us no more of this Holy One of Israel prophesy to us smooth things yet the truth of God's nature of judging sin is foundational in understanding the Gospel in order to grasp what the significance of the Gospel is, we have to understand that God's nature, His nature requires Him to judge sin and sinners. Don't you see that we call Christ our Savior? Why do we call Him a Savior? You don't call people who haven't saved you a Savior. So what exactly does He save us from? Bad debt? bad health, maybe not living our best life, maybe not becoming the best version of ourselves. What does God save us from? He saves us from God Himself. That is, He saves us from the wrath of God. This is what we are saved from. This is the hour for which the sun came into the world. You see, we can't call it good news until we understand the bad news. We can't understand why we need a savior until we understand why we need saving. It's what makes the gospel the gospel. It's what makes the good news such good news. It's what makes grace such amazing grace is how bad the bad news is. It's for this very hour that the Son came. And this was the only recourse. This this is how bad our sin is. That the only recourse was for God the Father to send His Son to the world to suffer at the hand of lawless men four lawless men. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He came to seek and save the lost. In order to accomplish this, He had to go to the cross. In order to save us, He had to do something about the tremendous debt that we owed God. The wages of sin is death, Scripture says, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Scripture says and that means you too by the way not just that everybody else is a sinner but that you're a sinner, that I'm a sinner that all of us are sinners, that all of us collectively and individually have sinned and trespassed against God's holy written law this sin makes us objects of wrath before God Almighty a stench in the nostrils of Jehovah. And Jesus knew this very well. And it's why He came. For this hour, the Son came. So He suffered greatly in the hours leading up to His death. Willingly, I might add. No one made Him. No one forced His hand. He went willingly. Let's look at the crucifixion. Let's look at verse 31. It is now, as Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. John writes in verse 33 that Jesus said this to refer to the type of death he was to die. So let us be reminded of the physical suffering that Christ endured. This was a Roman crucifixion. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. It didn't get worse than this. The Romans were cruel and barbaric. Even secular scholars will willingly admit that the crucifixion was a particularly heinous Form of torture and capital punishment. He was scourged. Now the Roman scourge, what this entailed is that Christ was bound to a post and he was then whipped. But this wasn't just a regular whip, though that would have been bad enough. This whip was made of leather that was interwoven with bone and metal. And they did this so that when they would hit you with the whip, It would snag your flesh, and when they would pull it back, it would pull back pieces of your flesh. It was a gruesome sight. Chunks of of flesh were missing from his body. Many people would die just from the scourge because sometimes the whip would hit their stomach and their intestines would come out and I'm not trying to be uh, purposefully grotesque, but I want you to understand what the Christ suffered and endured because a lesser man dies at the hand of the scourge, but here Christ is enduring that. And then they take him and they fashion a crown of thorns and they place it on his head And they say, All hail, King of the Jews, while he's standing there covered in a purple robe to mock him for who he's claiming to be. And they spit on him and they slap him and they make fun of him and they ridicule him. All hail, king of the Jews. They truly did not know what they were doing. Then, as if this was not bad enough as he's covered in blood see those thorns were pushed into his head though he undoubtedly had blood draining down his face pieces of skin and flesh missing barely alive anymore the scriptures say that he was unrecognizable and still he had to carry his cross to the top of the hill and as he gets up there The scripture said that when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. How can this be? This object of ridicule. And see, this wasn't even the worst of it yet. The suffering had only just begun. It hadn't even hit the crescendo yet. He became sin, and this is where the worst of it came. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus of Nazareth, the suffering servant, was made to be sin. He who knew no sin. He never told a lie. He never stole a piece of gum. He made Him to become sin, for our sake, the Scriptures say. Colossians 2.14-15 describes for us this record of death that stood against us, that God canceled this record of debt by setting aside and nailing it to the cross. This Jesus of Nazareth, as He walked through all of this suffering and humiliation, carried with Him a list. In his mind, he had this list of names. Not just names. These names were people. And there was a detailed history of every one of these names, of of every single sin that was committed. Every single lie that was told. Every single time you visited a website that you shouldn't have been on, every time you stole a piece of gum or took so much as a, a paperclip clip from the office without asking every time you've had a drunken night or every loose sexual encounter every time that you thought that you could live your life without God every time every single moment of. Of time that you did not love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Christ bore that in his flesh, in his body. He became those sins, every last one of them. You see, the real tragedy here was not just the awful beatings that Christ endured, the real tragedy is our sin that our sin was the reason why this had to happen. So we're prone to think and ask, why does God have to be so severe? Why does He have to be so severe against sin? But this question is asked because we do not understand God's holiness, nor do we understand how heinous our sin is. But in the crucifixion and in the suffering that Christ endured we get an image of just how serious God is against sin Jesus stated in verse 32 that when he is lifted up he draw all men to himself and there he was lifted up to hang on that cross as an object of humiliation mockery and derision In Galatians 3.13, Paul reminds us that he did this for us. Scriptures say that cursed is anyone who hangs on the tree, and there he was, an object of cursing as he hung on that tree. There he hangs in our place, out of love, absorbing God's wrath. This was the hour for which he came, and though the scene is bleak, he is winning. There hangs the victor. Jesus stated in verse 31 that now is the time, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Christ didn't hang on that tree as a loser or a failure. He endured the humiliation, he endured the scorn, he endured the wrath of God, not as a loser, but as a victor, as a conquering king. In his dying upon Calvary's cross, he was soundly defeating the enemy. He was utterly dismantling the powers of evil, putting them to open shame. Understand that this isn't the type of battle scene that you see in the movies where good is pitted against evil and they're very closely matched, and good just always narrowly escapes with a victory. This is nothing like that. Jesus cries out on the cross to telestai. That means it is finished. here's what this means he didn't mean it is finished in the way that you say it is finished when you've paid your bills for the month or whenever you've mowed the lawn and you're done and you say yeah it is finished because in those scenarios you're just going to have to do it again you're going to have to go cut the lawn again it's going to grow back So it's not truly finished. What Christ is saying here is not that kind of of level of finishing. Christ is saying for now and forever it is finished. What is finished? All that He came here to accomplish has successfully been completed on the cross of Calvary. He didn't die as 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 a loser. As a victim. Matthew Henry's commentary on this says, and I'm just going to read this to you because it's perfectly stated. He says, especially observe the word wherewith Jesus breathed out his soul. It is finished. That is, the counsels of the Father concerning his sufferings were now fulfilled. It is finished all the types and prophecies of the Old Testament which pointed at the sufferings of the Messiah were accomplished. It is finished. The ceremonial law is abolished. The substance has now come and all the shadows are done away. It is finished. An end is made of transgression by bringing in an everlasting righteousness. His sufferings were now finished. Both those of his soul and those of his body. It is finished. The work of man's redemption and salvation is now completed. It is finished. Then he gave up his life. Notice that Christ gave up his life because he had the authority to do so. No one takes his life from him. He laid his life down after he had completed his work. He wasn't crying out, I am finished. So let's further understand what he's saying here. He didn't say, I am finished in a sense that I've taken too much on, this is too much for me, here I am, now I am at the end of my life. No, this was a victorious battle cry saying, it's done, it's finished, I have won the victory. And then, and only then, did he bow his head and give up the ghost. This, by the way, is why it is so offensive to add anything to the work of Christ. Because to say that you need anything in addition to what Christ accomplished on the cross is to also not only call Him insufficient, but also call Him a liar when He said it is finished. That would mean that what He said was, it will be finished or eventually will be finished. But that's not what happened, is it? He said it is finished now and forever. On the cross of Calvary, Christ successfully atoned for our sins. It was successful. He successfully completed his propitiatory work. He was the propitiation for our sins standing in our place that we may stand in the place of righteousness. The gospel's message is that God is holy and righteous and that he is the universal law giver. It is this law that we as a people have both collectively and individually and personally transgressed. Lawbreakers are deemed sinners, and sinners are given the punishment of death, wrath of God, suffering under the almighty hand of God. Sinners stand before God condemned with no way to earn a right standing before God. But you see, the reason why we call this good news is because God in love sent forth His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? That means that He stood in our place. It means that He was born fully God and fully man, walked out a perfect life, fulfilling that law that you and I were powerless to fulfill. That He went to this cross, and on this cross that we have discussed at length here today, He was the propitiation of your sins. He stood in your place, taking on your sins and taking on the wrath that you deserve. Why did he do this? Because he loves you. Why did he suffer? Because he loves you. Why did he die? Because he loves you now as we will learn next week in great detail on Easter Sunday he was resurrected from the dead he's seated at the right hand of the Father and if you will repent of your sins turn away from your sinfulness and put all of your faith in this perfect completed work of Christ you will be saved, and you along with us will celebrate. In Luke 19:10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In Romans 3:25, it says that He was put forth as a propitiation for our sins. And in 1 Peter 2:24, it says that He suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God as on this Palm Sunday as we begin Holy Week let us meditate on the perfect finished work of Christ let us contemplate his sufferings let us also remember and bear in mind that he accomplished all that he set out to do. He didn't die a victim or in defeat. Rather, it was for this purpose that he came, to defeat the sin in this world, to defeat the judgment stacked up against us and to defeat the enemy. He suffered at the hand of lawless men for lawless men like you and like me. Let's join in today singing Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, how great are your ways, Lord. How high are your ways above our ways. How unthinkable is your love towards us. What incredible richness of of mercy and grace you have displayed us, Lord. God, I just pray that as we press on in this Holy Week, and as the days approach, as Good Friday approaches, as Easter Sunday approaches, that we will be thoughtful of of all that you endured, of all that you went through, and that we will remember that it wasn't without profound and eternal impact, and that you completed the work. Help us to rest. In your grace, help us to rest in your perfect, completed work. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.